the podcast where we break down the biggest industry news and trends by talking shop with the Retail Dive team, thought leaders, and executives. So here's the big question of the day. Why is shopping in stores still such a pain? Sure, I'll admit, my perspective on stores is influenced by being a millennial. And yes, I do occasionally eat avocado toast and tend to buy everything from my dog's food to my clothing online. But I'm not alone in that. And millennials aren't the only shoppers who find most in-store shopping these days either incredibly dull or, even worse, extremely irritating. It's not a problem unfamiliar to those in the industry. But if experience is the new buzzword, why are most experiences still so terrible? And where should retailers look for guidance on boosting their in-store game? To find the answers to those questions, senior editor Laura Heller and I sat down with Lauren Batar, who is the director of retail consulting at Retail Next. Just a heads up, we recorded the show live at the NRF's Big Show, so feel free to dance along to the Fleetwood Mac music in the background. All right, here's our show. All right, we're recording from the National Retail Federation's Big Show in New York. So really excited to have you on the show, Lauren. Uh, we tap your insights a lot for written stories, so really excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. For the folks um, that don't know of your work, can you tell us a little bit about what you do at Retail Next? Sure. So I had the analytics practice at Retail Next, so I do a few things. Um, I uh, manage the analysts that do a lot of the data mining, um, and insights for our retailers. I also partner with retailers on um, different kinds of engagement. So when they come and they've got questions about how um, the performances in their stores or ways to optimize or um, improve the customer experience, I often work with them on projects um, and do a current state analysis and then give recommendations, um, sort of like consulting engagement. Um, so a really big topic that is already buzzing around the conference is the in-store experience, which um, is something that we've been talking about for years and years in the retail industry. Yeah. But I'm really interested in talking to you about how it's changing. Sure. Um, so tell us, where are we at right now? Um, so right now, as I feel like we've been for a while. We're in a huge state of flux. Um, you know, retailers are really trying to understand what uh, the right number of stores are, where should they be, you know, and what is the purpose of their stores, um, as well as understanding what the, you know, what customers are demanding as far as experiences. Um, we know that, you know, there are many stores out there where the experience is lackluster, be it either the curation of the assortment or, you know, the actual service levels. Um, and they're trying to figure out um, what pieces of data to use, how to analyze it to then, um, you know, improve this process. Laura and I were talking about for years Years, there have been really mediocre retailer experiences, and this is definitely a challenge. And, you know, I'm curious why it's taken so long and we're still kind of at this standstill. Um, and, you know, what are some of the reasons why that is? Yeah, so there's a few um, reasons. So first of all, I mean, I come from retail. Um, retailers tend to be pretty change averse or risk averse. Um, they like to see a concept proven already, but when that happens, no one's going to make the first move because they're all afraid of the investment. Um, also, you know, it was really until the, the recession in, in uh, 2008, 
it, you know, the economy was fine. Everything was fine. So if it's not broke, don't fix it. And it wasn't until sales tanked that they really started to look at it. You know, and then retailers have always worked in silos. So merchandising might not be talking to marketing the way they, they should be. Then they're fighting with planning for the right amount of inventory. Um, and it's, it's not a real customer-centric model. And then lastly, you know, when everyone was jumping on, um, I've got to have .com, stores got pushed to the side. Okay, and um, they focused on the online bit, kind of forgot about the stores. Exactly. Do you think now that we're coming off such a great holiday season that there's some use case scenarios to get that investment to move forward a little more quickly? Um, I mean, I think so. We've had a great holiday season, but then it also it starts making retailers lazy. Like, I'm not going to change because everything was okay. Like, yeah. the economy's turning up. The fear is gone. The fear is gone. Um, but, you know, there's still a lot of um, fear going on with stores are still closing. Macy's is closing more stores. More retailers have gone into bankruptcy. Um, so even though there was a good holiday season, I think that people are still wary, um, especially, you know, and then Amazon's still looming. Um, you know, recently we talked about them really trying to, like, enter the beauty space. I, I think we're, even though they're feeling good, I think to a certain extent, there's still that uncomfortableness or right. something. Right. So we're here in New York City and there are a lot of um, experimental in the, you know, let's try this out in a major market. And I think that it's easier for that to work in a New York City or maybe a San Francisco or an LA. So you see like the one concept shop from the retailer. Um, I'm curious from your perspective, if you have people coming to you, like, let's just do that one store or let's try to change the entire um, like redefine all of our stores and how do they think about like do we just need the one innovation lab and the one innovative store or the entire fleet yeah absolutely so I mean they generally want to have like the one lab um, and I would never recommend every single store to be a lab. It's extremely costly. And then you, the way you should be positioning it is I'm going to have a fleet of labs that are representative of the larger um, stores, like the, the larger store number. Um, and then you can use the findings from those labs and then extrapolate that to the rest of the of your footprint. Mm -hmm. um, but they're often, you know, they might pick a store that's not representative of the rest of their stores, which is a mistake, um, or it's a market that's very specific. You know, what works in New York isn't going to work in Omaha. Huh? Right. <laughs> like things <laughs> a little are just, bit different. Things are just naturally going to sell differently in New York. And then they build a lab and then on top of everything, you know, they have the lab, but then they don't use it as a test and learn environment. They're just gathering the data and, you know, it's not effective if you're not going to do something and, and really take the time to, to have like a clean test or, or clean evaluation of, you know, something new. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of new tech here, and maybe, Laura, you can speak to this because you were just at CES and there was a, even more tech there. Um, but there's so many shiny objects and things that can be distracting to retailers. Um, and I'm curious what you both think about, you know, separating those kind of like more far out technologies for in-store experiences and the ones that are more practical but might be more boring. Yeah, the talk of shiny pennies at it, it CES was everywhere. And, you know, we had a really great interview on stage there. I did with store number eight, Katie Finnegan. Mm -hmm. And we kind of went down the list of, of what tech is, is, you know, how far away. And maybe you can help us understand which ones you're looking at to, to better the store experience. You know, there's virtual reality, there's augmented reality, uh, there's holograms, there's robotics. Um, are any of these um, practical today? And if not, what are you looking at? 
So I'd preface this with any of that can help improve the store experience if you know what you're going to do with it and have a clear plan. I think, you know, what we saw in the last couple of years, so many retailers were investing in these touch screens, um, you know, digital screens to put in their stores, and that was supposed to make the experience better. But, you know, in, in effect, whenever I do any um, sort of insights projects, you would find out that they really didn't. Um, so it's, if you're going to buy this shiny object, what is the plan? And really think through, like, why is this going to benefit the customer? Mm-hmm. Um, so certainly in beauty, something like AR would really helps. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not even for the stores, but to try on colors, you know, online. Um, holograms might be great if they're actually going to show you something. But just to have a shiny object to have it isn't enough. It, it's And it's the same even at the foundation. You know, you want to count traffic to understand, um, you know, potential lost sales or, or what your total conversion opportunity is but if you just put a traffic counter in the store and then don't do anything with it and don't build the infrastructure around your organization to really you know take in traffic counting and use it as a metric of success um, it's not going to do anything we were talking earlier and you had said something about getting the buy-in throughout your organization for this and I yes. always think this is so critical because at the store level, the buy-in by the associates who are actually going to be interacting with the technology, acting as a conduit between the customer and the company, what do you recommend that the retailers do in order to sort of up that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So one of the things that I find is that um, retailers will start, let's say, counting traffic, but it's not... um, a a key metric that resonates throughout the entire organization. It needs to come from the very top levels and it needs to be used all the way down to the associates. Um, And conversion needs to be a metric that people are accountable for. What's measured is managed. Um, So you you need to sit down and take the time on what are the goals that we're going to have for conversion, um, providing training around that, and really having every level in the organization working around these metrics for it to stick. Just the same way everybody in an organization would care about sales, you should care about conversion. I've seen a lot of really interesting things that are kind of on the periphery of retail, maybe more in like the food space. But I, I wonder if there are lessons there that traditional retailers can take away. Um, we had, you know, the founder of Stan Pizza, the founder of Museum of Ice Cream spoke today. Um, and, you know, it's very high touch, experiential. They've been able to have these cult followings. And it's not just the store, but they're very connected on social media and allowing the customers to engage in different ways and share things. Um, and I wonder if if there are other examples that you know of that provide this really good experience that retailers can learn from. Yes, absolutely. I mean, taking your point off the Museum of Ice Cream, I mean, it, it truly is the epitome of what an immersive experience is. I mean, you can literally immerse yourself in sprinkles. Right. (laughs) Um, And that's how retailers actually should be thinking. So it's not about having a fashion show showing on a digital screen. It's like put them, you know, into the show like and and make the consumer part of that. Um, You know, we were talking earlier about Gucci having that shop right now um, in Italy where part of the exhibition is is paid for. So they've got their one floor where, you know, they have merchandise and it's it's special um, merchandise to be purchased. But then they've got almost like a museum. I mean, it, and it's you're charging fully, admission exactly, for the store. Exactly. And, and people are paying bizarre, it. Is that a bizarre concept? I mean, we pay for clubs. We play for movies and all of these entertainment experiences. And you pay for a museum of ice cream, you know, and it really shows that customers will pay more for a good experience. And we've been talking about the experience economy since, you know, 1998. So it's amazing to me that, you know, it's only now really trying to be embraced. Mm-hmm. And if you create some kind of excitement, something added value, I've seen shoppers waiting in line 
line, like a red carpet rope line to get into a Montclair store in Soho on a freezing day. And they're just waiting there. So so there is a way to do that. Absolutely. People still are going to physical structures to shop. You just need to make it worth it for them. And as an organization or as a brand, you need to decide what that means for you and for your customer to make it worth it for them. And it's not a one solution fits all for everybody. So what, what a great customer experience is for Montclair's might differ, you know, from like a, a Nike store, for instance. So as we look at, we're at the very beginning of the year, what are you kind of anticipating for um, the rest of the year for the in-store experience? Yeah, so um, I think retailers are really starting to understand that to have to understand what a good in-store experience is, it's really going to take a dedicated team. So instead of, you know, having someone who looks at what's going on in a store as like a second job, which often happens, like the project manager for a lot of the engagements I work with, it's something they do on the side. It's going to become a full-time job for somebody to be dedicated to that. Um, I think they're realizing um, much on how you would conduct tests online, uh, like for A-B testing, you're going to have to start doing that in stores. It's going to take more stores. It's going to take more of an investment to be able to get a clean read, but it's going to ultimately be worth it. Um, and, and really, you know, and it's going to be a constant thing. So it's not, okay, this layout worked best for the store. We're done. It's just like you would do online. It's going to be constant reinvention. I think when I think about the in-store experience and what the biggest pain point is for me as a consumer is still the checkout process. And I think over the last year or so, we've seen a lot of, you know, out there ideas, everything from Amazon Go to Walmart's Scan and Go, and just trying to figure out what's the easiest way to get a shopper from the moment they decide to, they want to buy something committed to actually buying that and walking out of the store and not giving up because the line is too long. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's something that a lot of retailers are still wrestling with. I mean, a, a lot of them had moved to try and do mobile POS. And I mean, honestly, even that isn't always the best solution for every store. There is still some argument to have an associate check you out um, and not have something automatic, especially for more like heavy client services brands. Like I'm not probably going to check out and, you know, a tennis bracelet at Tiffany's on my own, mm -hmm. you know, those kinds of things. So deciding on what level of automation makes sense for your stores. Um, and then, you know, with things like that, with shrinkage or just errors, that takes a really good, um, you know, management system on the back end and, tough, and like, you know, stringent supply chain to get that. Um, and we're still working on that. I mean, RFID for as much a buzz as it's getting for inventory accuracy, the, you know, being able to understand where it is in the store, you know, or, or like what their accuracy range is, it's still in, like pretty in, like in its infancy. So thinking about the future of stores, I'm just curious about your own personal philosophy. As you said before, retailers are still trying to figure out what's the right number of stores for me, what types of stores. Um, do you see the future as being less stores, but they're more highly experiential and more engaging? Yeah, I do think that, actually. Um, you know, when we went through the recession in 2008 and a lot of retailers closed stores, you know, we got out of the recession and then retailers started to open stores again. And for years, I've been wondering, like, did they forget what happened before? Yeah, did a little memory lapse there? <laughs> yeah, I, like I, I worked at Macy's and everything when people, uh -huh. you know, when they were closing their regional offices. I was at Saks when, you know, everyone was like getting fired and no one was buying designer suits. So um, it's really interesting. I think we'll have less stores. I think the experience is going to be, um, it, it's going to be more immersive, but I think there's also this movement to, um, we've been talking about curation for a while, but I think it's going to get more extreme. And, and the, what I liken it to is, you know, before, if you wanted to buy a song, you had to buy an album, but now we can just 
buy the song that we want. And people are looking at brands that way. They don't necessarily want to shop the entire lifestyle. I want, you know, for instance, if I want mascara, I'm going to buy Benefits. They're real because like they're the best, but I might not buy anything else from Benefit Cosmetics. And then I'm going to buy a lip gloss, like maybe Kylie's Lip Kids, because that would be the best. And I think people are feeling that way, you know, across retail. Um, so being able to, to delight your customer, the smaller assortments, and if you are someone selling, you know, third-party brands, it's, it's really about being curated because why would I shop at you versus somebody else if you've got similar assortments? You know, and I think Macy's is feeling that. The, apart from the private label, there wasn't a lot there that I couldn't get somewhere else, so why yeah, would I go there? Yeah, what's the differentiation? Like, there's no other reason. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, and then the service level is going to be another big differentiator. I'm going to go there because they're always great to me. Like, that is going to matter. Um, and I think people will make more acceptance if they feel like they've got a relationship. And so, you know, we've always had a huge churn rate in, in associates in the retail industry. I think retailers are realizing that they have to invest more in them and, and keep them as brand ambassadors and, and have career plans and, you know, give them reason to stay. I, for one, am really optimistic for the first time in a long time. Um, it wasn't just that we had a good holiday. It was that the retailers that had the good holiday had invested in some aspects of all of these things we've been talking about today. And I feel like that's just the positive reinforcement you need to keep that ball rolling. Shopping became fun again in December for me for the first time in years. So I was very, very heartened by that, that you can go out to the store, you can get good service, you can touch and feel and experience things in new ways. And I spent, and obviously I was not alone. But if I can turn into the interviewer for a second, sure, sure. What, what would be one of your favorite experiences then from the holidays? You know, I have to say, I really think the beauty category is killing it. Mm -hmm. And we have talked about that as a group before. And you, you've been quoted in, in Retail Dive on that area. And, and part of that is because they have embraced the technology. I mean, they're at a sweet spot, right? Augmented reality really works for them. Mm -hmm. And they do have the ability to carry a variety of brands and change that out rather quickly as trends come and go, right? So I think that's a really great thing. But um, even at the upper assortment on the department store. I mean, Nordstrom in Chicago, their flagship on Michigan Avenue. I was really impressed with the changes they made internally. They've remodeled it recently and the service level that I could not get at any other store. I mean, I went into stores and people were like, no, I don't think we have that. Well, can you check? No. So, you know, I mean, I, I really feel like the stores, and then I saw it in the reports in January, you know, the ones that I felt energy around and, and had great experiences in were the ones coming out with some really nice numbers. Absolutely. And I mean, Nordstrom's believed in service forever. I mean, they have their the Nordstrom way. I interned there when I on their sales floor and they really, I mean, their handbook is basically use good judgment. That's all it says. And, <laughs> and they really raise you to just do anything for the customer. I mean, I'd have associates that would go out for coffee with them. They had like that kind of relationship. And I think they continue to do well because of that. Thanks so much for talking about the in-store experience. I'm, I, for one, am really excited to see what else we see uh, for the rest of the year. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Conversational Commerce. For all the latest updates on industry news, analysis, and trends, subscribe to our free daily newsletter at retaildive.com. And stay tuned for more episodes. Up next, I sit down with Ryan Buckley, CEO of FitCode, and talk about the challenges of fit versus size in conquering clothing fit online. Until next time, I'm Corinne Ruff, and this was Conversational Commerce.